to the Insatiable Appetite, the Hartman Group's podcast on all things within the realm of food and beverage. I'm Melissa Abbott, Vice President of Hartman Retainer Services, and today I'm joined by my lovely colleague and senior consultant, Elisa Chevalier, to highlight a few pioneering women in the food industry. Welcome, Melissa. So Monday was International Women's Day, as we know, and I'm excited to join you today, Alyssa, to talk about a few women in the food industry as we celebrate women's achievements and the promotion of equality in food and beyond. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. I'm really happy to be here today. And since March is also Women's History Month, commemorating and encouraging the celebration of the vital role of women in American history in general, um, it seems like a great time for us to highlight women who've both changed the status quo uh, when we come when it comes to how we think about food here in the U.S., as well as several women who are innovating in various areas of the greater food arena. Yeah, Alyssa, and you know, our annual trends report here at the Hartman Group, Ideas in Food, actually, we illuminated several women-owned businesses or women who were doing some really remarkable things within the area of food. So thinking about democratization of wellness, Vanessa Rosetto, she practices inclusive nutrition at New York University and Kalina Health, which is a coaching business that she co-founded. And Vanessa, she's quoted as saying, there is a nutrition divide in this country. And that Mm. is precisely why she became a nutritionist. So this, it underscores a theme that we uncovered in our report that accessibility and inclusion, well, they're foundational to the future of health and wellness here in the U.S., Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's so great to see brands who are celebrating kind of undervalued food traditions of America and its and immigrants here um, and are really receiving overdue recognition for their connection to well-being. An example of that would be uh, Shizu Okuza, who's the founder of Apothecary. And her successful brand is rooted in her own ancestral traditions. Shizu is quoted as saying that she um, grew up in a super traditional Japanese family where my parents would encourage healing naturally even if it took longer. So no Advil, no Tylenol. Instead, they used herbs, dark oozy drinks with adaptogenic mushrooms and roots. And that's all um, kind of what has inspired her in the development of her own brand. Yeah, I love that example of Apothecary and Shizu and how we are, you know, collectively looking back to traditions and incorporating what worked in the past into modern ways of healing and wellness. So it's interesting to see how a lot of brands today, they're actually marrying folkloric traditions with modern approaches. And it's really relevant too, now that we are, you know, culturally tuned to these addictive, you know, quick fixes, like you were mentioning the, you know, I have a headache, take some Advil or Tylenol. Um, And so, you know, it takes a little bit longer sometimes to, you know, kind of understand where the source of the issue or illness is coming from. 
So similarly, thinking about the role of women in indigenous foodways and how there are a lot of tribes that are historically more matriarchal than European societies, essentially, which means having greater reliance and respect for the wisdom of women. <laughs> and drawing from their native backgrounds, Bow and Arrow Brewing, co-owners Missy Begay and Shyla Shepard have found that having a story around their beers resonates with people. And they're striking a really interesting, careful balance between drawing from their Navajo culture while being very culturally appropriate and respectful. And actually, their award-winning Arizona brewed beers happen to be top-rate. One of our consultants here um, at the Retainer Services uh, division here, she Danielle, who's been on the podcast, she actually uh, tried some of their beers down in Arizona and said they were amazing. So great to have that input as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's really interesting because there's been this rise in professionals who are protecting Native food cultures and really sparking conversations and movements around food justice, uh, food sovereignty, and uh, indigenous cuisine. But forging a path as an entrepreneur, of course, is super challenging. And as we all know, all entrepreneurs do not experience this challenge in the same ways or to the same degree, because those from marginalized communities, including BIPOC, LGBTQI, and women all face greater barriers to accessing the capital and other resources that they need to actually fund and act on their ideas. So as these calls for equity and representation in food are growing louder, um, we're seeing companies that are using their funding pipelines and platforms to help to close this gap in entrepreneurship. So one example um, that we've seen is La Cucina. Um, they're based in San Francisco, and it's a business incubator that focuses primarily on providing resources to women from communities of color and from immigrant communities. And their program um, is is focused on supporting businesses through affordable commercial kitchen space, uh, technical assistance that's really specific to the industry, as well as helping them to access market opportunities. So all really uh, essential areas that that can be challenging to access. Yeah, that's such a, a an empowering example with La Cucina there in San Francisco and. It's just really heartwarming to see that there is more awareness. There's growing awareness um, of incubators starting to focus on, uh, you know, communities who have not been able to access a lot of these funds and who have a lot to share with communities. So, um, but, you know, shifting gears a little bit, (laughs) I have to say that um, we think about this past year and it's really called for some good coffee, at least in in my household, to get through (laughs) the stress and the need for, you know, ritual and just kind of, you know, hanging on by dear life some days. And there's a new breed of instant coffee that's actually giving consumers the premium experience they seek, whether it's at home or on the go. So there's a couple of really interesting examples there. Yeah, for sure. And these kind of single serve coffee options that are also super quick and easy to prepare really epitomize that coming together of quality and convenience. 
Um, that And typically that level of quality, we could only really get at those third wave coffee shops. Yeah. Um, but now uh, there are brands coming out, several of them owned by women, um, who are producing these kind of instant coffees that provide that same level of quality, uh, but at the in the home environment, which is so important, of course, uh, in the wake of this pandemic. Um, so we have spotlighted one of these brands, Copper Cow Coffee, which is BIPOC and women owned. And they make, they specialize in Vietnamese coffee, um, which includes not only the coffee part, but also little sachets of condensed milk to uh, provide both that kind of sense of ritual you mentioned, as well as this kind of global flavor exploration in the home. I I think that is so cool because that is one thing that it, it feels like you know has been on on pause for the last years is this is the sense of discovery or those fun kind of interesting things that you'd get while you were out and about and that really just you know it the pause button was hit hard over the mm-hmm. last year so so the fact that we can actually access things like this in our home was pretty neat and I, I saw this brand recently at a Sprouts supermarket in the Seattle area so I was excited to see that um, yeah. and it really speaks to where you know, we are in our culture that more brands are amplifying women owned as a benefits claim. And even online grocery retailer Thrive, you know, Thrive Market, um, they've been growing, especially over the last year with the pandemic, with more online shopping occurring and more consumers willing to try online shopping and Thrive having a very specific um, niche in the market of, you know, more organic um products at a and cleaner products at a uh, at a clean in an easier price a more democratic price and they allow you to actually uh the shopper to sort by women owned as well mm-hmm. as BIPOC brands I mean that's kind of cool I think um so if our listeners here are interested in learning more about our ideas in food trends report the full deal um don't hesitate to reach out uh at hartman-group.com you can reach us there uh you can learn about our retainer services program where partners gain access to all of our syndicated studies our trend reports like like this ideas in food report as well as all of our white papers so i just want to say thank you to you Alyssa, for being an uh a member of my team and an empowered, just an empowered woman on your own, in your own right. And I would just want to say thanks to all the women out there who are always bringing it every day. And I want to see if you had any, any final thoughts before we sign off today. Sure. It's, it's been great to talk to you about this, Melissa. I think, you know, these examples are so cool. And I think, you know, we're focusing on um, the importance of, of promoting women-owned brands um, because they're, because of this kind of disadvantaged role that women have, have faced, but it's also really a testament to just the creativity and the innovation that comes out of having kind of a little bit different perspective from the mainstream corporate culture. So it's really cool to take a look at some of these brands and some of these organizations and, and be able to highlight them in our work. Absolutely agree, and I love your take on that. 
And uh, thank you so much. And want to invite everyone uh, to listen to our next upcoming podcast on the rise of TikTok in the food industry and what that means for consumers today. So closing out today, just want to thank Alyssa again. And thank you for your your insight, Alyssa. And I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful day.